you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Neither, Neither prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edom, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem, in the name of God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. At the same time, Tadanai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shethar Bozani and their associates came to them and spoke to them thus. Who gave you a decree to build this house and to finish this structure? They also asked them this. What are the names of the men who are building this building? But the eye of their God was on the elders of the Jews, and they did not stop them until the report should reach Darius, and then an answer be returned by letter concerning it. Then Darius the king made a decree, and search was made in Babylonia, in the house of the archives where the documents were stored. And in Ecbatana, the citadel that is in the province of Media, a scroll was found on which this was written, a record. In the first year of Cyrus the king, Cyrus the king issued a decree. Concerning the house of God at Jerusalem, let the house be rebuilt, the place where sacrifices were offered, and let its foundations be retained. Its height shall be 60 cubits, and its breadth 60 cubits, with three layers of great stones and one layer of timber. Let the cost be paid from the royal treasury. And also let the gold and silver vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took out of the temple that is in Jerusalem and brought to Babylon, be restored and brought back to the temple that is in Jerusalem, each to its place you shall put them in the house of God. Now therefore, Tatanai, governor of the province beyond the river, Shethar Bozani, and your associates, the governors who are in the province beyond the river, keep away. Let the work on this house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild this house of God on its site. Moreover, I make a decree regarding what you shall do for these elders of the Jews for the rebuilding of this house of God. The cost is to be paid to these men in full and without delay from the royal revenue, the tribute of the province from beyond the river. And whatever is needed, bulls, rams or sheep for burnt offerings to the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine or oil as the priests at Jerusalem require, let that be given to them day by day without fail, that they may offer pleasing sacrifices to the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and his sons. Also, I make a decree that if anyone alters this edict, a beam shall be pulled out of his house, and he shall be impaled upon it, and his house shall be made a dunghill. May the God who has caused his name to dwell there overthrow any king or people who shall put out a hand to alter this, or to destroy this house of God that is in Jerusalem. 
I, Darius, make a decree. Let it be done with all diligence. Well, good morning, everyone. My name's Matt, and it's a pleasure to be able to speak to you this morning from that passage. As we begin, I want us to think about stickability, sticking at something, persevering or persistence. Would you think of yourself as someone who perseveres, who keeps going or who gives up? For me, it depends on what exactly we're talking about, what area of life. I came across this week a competition where people had to sort of keep their hand touching a car and whoever touched it for the longest would win the car. How do you think you'd go in that competition? (laughs) I would be terrible. I value other things in life (laughs) and I just don't think that I would have the stamina, the endurance to last the distance. But there are other areas in life where I think, yeah, I keep going, I stick at it, I persevere. I have some friends who seem to have hobbies that are like fads. I'm thinking of one particular friend and whenever I visit her, uh, you know, you you ask about how the the painting is going or the the photography or the scrapbooking or the um, sewing and every single time, oh no, actually I don't do that anymore, now I dot, dot, dot. I just do the same stuff that I enjoy. (laughs) I've got another friend who regularly, it feels when I catch up with him, he's got a new job. And I think, wow, you must have to be very careful about what you do and don't put on your resume. It seems there's always a sort of new position and he's always changing things. As you look at your own life, do you have friends, particular relationships that have been around for years or decades? Or do friends come and go? What about your relationship with the Lord? How are you going there? Thanks for leading us there, Dom, in that song, where we just sang with gusto, the battle belongs to the Lord. But when the battle comes, how confident are you that you will persevere, that you will stand fast? Last week, I was with the City on a Hill staff. We gathered together for the first time in about three years And because it had been so long, we had a lot of new people on our staff team. And so each session would begin with an interview. And the question was asked, not how did you come to the Lord, but what helps you stay with the Lord? What might you answer? Perhaps think back to a particular battle that you've been through, a time when things were dark What helped you keep going and persevere in the Lord? Or if you're young and you haven't had that struggle yet, maybe think about, well, what might it take? I remember years ago being at a youth conference and there we were challenged to look at the person on our left and look at the person on our right and the challenge was extended, statistically, one of the three of you will not walk with the Lord. 
in the path ahead. What might help you to keep going? This is not just a question to put out there, it's one that obviously should impact us. I'm sure we can all think about people, perhaps from our left or right, that are no longer with the Lord. I can think about a dear friend, Penny. Penny has had a tough life. When she was a young adult, she was diagnosed with a brain tumour and was just in and out of hospital all the time receiving treatment. After years, more than a decade, finally the tumour started to be disappearing and so she decided to have two kids, two boys. And then the tumour returned worse than ever. And for her, that that was the point. She said, Lord, why? Why do you keep doing this? Enough. And she ceased to continue with the Lord. Also think of a dear friend, Annette. When Annette was a young adult, she had a terrible motorbike accident that also had her in and out of hospital for, for years. She couldn't have kids as a result, so she went into foster care, adopted two children, and they were hard work. So much so that her husband took his life. Yet to the end, she persevered. What's the difference between the two? How might we keep going with the Lord and not give up when times are tough? I think that's what our passage today is about. We're in Ezra chapter 5 and 6. And as uh, we've already heard on the screen, it's, a, it's an interesting passage and so it'd be helpful to have it open there before you. We're in a series at the moment uh, in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. We're about halfway through the Old Testament book of Ezra and we haven't reached Nehemiah yet. And because we're halfway through, I thought I'd just take a moment just to sort of update you on the story so far. In Ezra chapter 1, it follows on from 2 Chronicles, which Dom just read to us uh, back there in chapter 20. By the end of 2 Chronicles, God's people are in another land. They're in exile. And as Ezra chapter 1 opens, a decree is given by a king. It's time to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the Lord's temple. In Ezra 2, we find out 50,000 people got up and went. That's a mass migration right there. In chapter 3, the the good work begins. They build an altar and they sacrifice for their sins and say, Father, forgive us as we try and live for you and we, we set about setting up the temple and they lay its foundations. In Ezra 4, which we saw last week, it just gets too hard. Some help is offered that they're better off without. Discouragement, fear, frustration, and ultimately a command to stop. What made them pick up tools? What made them persevere and keep going? when they had ceased work for 12 years. We heard that in Ezra chapter 5, verse 1. 
Now the prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Iddo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josedach, arose. They began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. The people of God help us to persevere. God has called us not just to himself, but to his family. And there are others who might support and encourage, indeed, even challenge us to keep going. Haggai and Zechariah are mentioned here. We have their books in our Bible. We can actually read the message of encouragement and rebuke that they brought to the Jews at the time. They said, you guys are sitting back comfortably in your own homes when the house of God is in ruins. Are your priorities a little askew there? And so we're told Zerubbabel and Jeshua arose and they got back about this work and the prophets continued to support and encourage them in it. Have you, have you ever experienced that in your walk with the Lord? I have. There was a time when I was not going through a particularly hard time. I was just apathetic, really, about the Lord. And a dear friend encouraged me and challenged me on this. He said, you've got to work this out. I'm seeing some worrying trends in your life. Do you know that comfort? That assurance that others are walking with you and alongside you? I hope that's something you've experienced. But I must admit, I'm a little sometimes shocked when I know that here in Geelong, we're a church of about 400 people and about 200 or a bit more are in GCs. That's got to be a worrying trend, doesn't it? Over half of us are potentially... <laughs> isolating ourselves. I, I, I heard a story once, I don't know if it's true, I don't really know much about it, but it's a story about a man who had ceased to gather with others, gather with the Lord's people. And the minister gave him a ring and he sort of thought, oh, you know, I know what's coming here. The minister said, I'm just going to pop around and have a chat. And he's probably thinking, oh... You know, here we, here we go. And so he invited the minister in, and it was winter. They're sitting there in the sort of comfy armchairs in front of the fire. But the minister didn't say anything. He just sort of sat there staring at the fire. And this man, he started getting a bit uncomfortable. I mean, it's a bit awkward just to sort of sit in silence, and he's sort of, you know, thinking, when are you going to start? And then he feels a bit angry. Why are you putting me in this position? Why are you making me feel like this? I know what's coming. Still, the minister said nothing. Eventually, the minister just got up and went to the fire and got some tongs and pulled one of the coals out and left it on the bricks there in front of the fire. It was burning red hot. But as it sat there by itself, it started to cool and darken and lose its heat. The illustration's pretty straightforward, isn't it? In fact, it was there in our first song, I noticed. <laughs> when we don't 
surround ourselves with others whose warmth for the Lord and fiery passion is contagious, we too isolate ourselves. Our warmth, our fiery zeal might grow cold too. God's people help us to persevere. But there's more than that. Verse 3 of chapter 5. At the same time, Tatnai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shethar, Bozanay, and their associates came to them and spoke to them thus, Who gave you a decree to build this house and to finish this structure? Does that sound a bit familiar? That sounds like last week's Bible reading. <laughs> you might remember that the governor, a different name, the names have changed, the story's still the same, came up and said, what are you guys doing? And that's what led to a letter being written to the king and a response coming back, I command you to cease. And here in chapter 5, even though they've begun the good work again, it's still not easy. The same problems still exist. And so in chapter 5, we're told about a letter that again is sent to the new king. And in chapter 6, which is where our Bible reading picked up again, in verse 1, we're told this, Then Darius, the king, made a decree. And search was made in Babylonia, in the house of the archives, where the documents were stored. And in Ekbatana, the capital that is in the province of Media, a scroll was found on which this was written, a record in the first year of Cyrus the king, Cyrus the king issued a decree concerning the house of God in Jerusalem. Lots of names there. Here's what's going on. In Ezra chapter 1, when a king said, you can go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the city, it was recorded. No big surprise there, right? <laughs> the king can't just make proclamations all over the place. They're kept, they're recorded, and a record is found. Such a simple thing, such a normal, everyday thing, but as we heard in our Bible reading, it enables the people to persevere and continue to build the house of the Lord. God doesn't just use His people, special as they are, to help us persevere, God's provision, God's providence in normal, everyday, simple things can help us keep going too when the going gets tough. I've been a minister for more of my life than I've not been a minister, if that makes sense. It's over 25 years for me now, and I want another 25 years and so I, I read these books that are things like Going the Distance, How to Be in Ministry for the Long Haul. And a lot of the books are filled with normal, simple, everyday things. Get good sleep. Gee, it's easier to, to handle stress <laughs> and tough times when you're well rested. Exercise regularly. Eat healthy. It's mundane means that the Lord blesses and uses. I had a very busy term one. 
I'm, I'm feeling guilty as I share this with you, but uh, I, I generally had work uh, something on uh, as a pastor every night of the week, and I wasn't taking days off. Doesn't sound very wise, does it? But you know one thing that helped me keep going? Bacon and eggs. <laughs> it's that simple. <laughs> I, I've never really done this before, but once a week I'd go to a cafe and have bacon and eggs. It just, I mean, it's such a simple thing, but it filled me up in more ways than one. It was just something that brings me joy. Are you doing those normal, everyday things? So that when the tough times come, you're more resilient. You've got the energy and strength needed to face the battles. God provides his people for our perseverance. He provides normal, everyday means. But also, we're told he provides his word so that we might persevere. Let me read from chapter 6, verse 13. Then according to the words sent by Darius the king, that letter, Tatanai and the governor of the province beyond the river, Shethar Bozanay and their associates, did with all diligence what Darius the king had ordered. And the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo. They finished their building by the word of the God of Israel and the word of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia, and the house was finished. It wasn't just God's people <laughs> spurring them on. It was the word of the Lord. Have you experienced that? Are there passages that come to you in your dark times and comfort and console you? Words from Scripture that you use perhaps to cry out to the Lord and express your own anger? <laughs> your own grief. That's true of me. As I think about the, the hardest time I had to persevere, it was when I was a young adult and I was engaged to be married. I experienced that it was when I was called into the ministry, but my fiancé disagreed. And that was a really tough and lonely time. We both prayed to the Lord, we, we sought his will. What would he have us do here? And I felt that I was called to enter the ministry and she felt that we were not. And so our relationship ended. I questioned the Lord. Is this really what you want from me? And what helped me persevere at that time was the word of the Lord. In my loneliness, in my hurt, I just immersed myself in the scriptures. And he brought such good out of that. Are you putting in that hard work now for the times of shadow and darkness that might come eventually? Is the word of the Lord providing you strength? As the chapter ends we're given one final way that God can help us to persevere. There's his people, there's his provision, there's his word, but of course, there's God himself. <laughs> Verse 16 of 
chapter 6. The people of Israel, the priests and the Levites and the rest of the returned exiles celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. When they finished the work, when they persevered to the end, they praised God. They dedicated the temple to him. They said, this is yours. You're the one who's got us this far. And we're told they did this in the equivalent of December in our calendar year. It's the end of the year, they've finished the work, and so, in verse 19, we're told, on the 14th day of the first month, how do they want to bring in the new year? The returned exiles kept the Passover. Verse 22, they kept the feast for seven days with joy, for the Lord had made them joyful. The Lord had turned the heart of the king of Assyria to them so that he had aided them in the work of the house of God. Ultimately, all praise and glory goes to God. He is the one that brings us through. We've sung that today, haven't we? The battle belongs to the Lord. The Lord is the one. His steadfast goodness, his faithfulness to his promises. I've experienced this one too, have you? In John chapter 6, there's a pretty well-known story, the feeding of the 5,000. And as that story goes on, we see some people are following Jesus just because of the free food. And Jesus challenges them with some very deep and troubling teachings. And as that long chapter, John 6, goes on, we see some people grumbling and eventually go. And in disappointment, maybe frustration, Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, what about you? Are you going to leave me too? And Peter says, where else have we to go when you alone have the words of eternal life? Is Christ enough for you? Will you hold to him? Years later, Peter wrote the letter that we've just been studying earlier this year. And in chapter 5, he says, Cast your cares on God, knowing he cares for you. I love that verse. You know God cares for you. He sent his son to die for you. He showed you. He's told you of his great love. Will you cast your cares on him knowing he cares for you? As it goes on to say in that chapter, for after you have suffered a little while, the Lord himself will restore you. He will confirm you. He will strengthen you and establish you. Has that been your experience? The Lord is the one who strengthens us for the battle. He is the one who, after we've suffered, will raise us and exalt us. I know that not just in my own experience, but because I see it in the Lord Jesus. When was his hardest time? When was he perhaps struggling to persevere? 
It was on a night when he was sharing a meal with his disciples. And he said, one of you is going to betray me. That must have been hard. But even more, he said, all of you will leave me. God's people weren't there to help Jesus persevere. God's providence, that those mundane means, the, the simple, normal, everyday things, Jesus needed more. He needed supernatural strength. He knew God's word. But not my will, but yours. I know what you want me to do, but help me to do it. And it got to the point where on that cross, Jesus cried out. It's known as the cry of dereliction. He he felt abandoned. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yet where else had he to go? He cast his cares upon the Lord, knowing he cared, even if it didn't feel like it. And so right at the end, what was Jesus' prayer? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. You're all I've got. And the Lord restored him. The Lord confirmed him. Yes, what you have done has been beautiful. He raised him, he exalted him. And the Lord will do the same for us. How do we persevere? In God's great kindness, he's given us one another. He's given us normal everyday things. He's given us his word, but he's also given himself, his life on the cross, so that we might keep going. Let me pray that we will. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that in the time of Ezra, you enabled the people to persevere. Do this good work amongst us today. May we keep going with you and not give up. Help us to avail ourselves of those different things that might strengthen us, encourage us, spur us on. But above all else, Help us to recognize that the battle belongs to you. You are sufficient. Christ is enough. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.